welcome to What Passes Podcast. And as always, my name is Roberts. And I'm Steve. I'm Damien. And I'm James. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about a play that we were all a part of last November called Death Trap, uh, our roles within the production, and the challenges that we faced. And if that's your thing and you're watching on YouTube, why not like, comment, and subscribe? And if you're listening to us on any other platform, please hit that follow button. So uh, the play that we're going to be talking about today is called Death Trap by Ira Levin. This play is a thriller. Um, It has a cast of five. It's uh, about a writer who had some successful plays back in the day, but has been in the the middle of a rough spell for some years. And he's contacted by a younger writer who's written a play that's also a thriller. And um, he wants some advice about, about this first play. So it's kind of a thriller within a thriller. It's a sort of meta-thriller. Um, um, in this play, uh, Robert and Stephen were acting on stage and myself and Damien were taking on technical roles. I wrote the music and Damien did the lighting. Um, so I thought it'd be nice if, seeing as we were all part of this production, it'd be interesting to talk about it and um, the uh, the things that we did within the show and how we found the experience. So, uh, Robert, you were the the kind of the biggest part, or um, had the largest role within the play. So, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your about your character? Uh, well, I played the character Clifford Anderson. He was uh, an aspiring writer. He wrote the play Death Trap. Sidney Bruel basically wanted to because he was he was running out of his own ideas and so he wanted the the death trap idea to himself and it's uh, the play is also a film i think i think it was a film first i think was it i'm not so sure i know in the film uh, michael Caine's in it the the play did come first uh the film is american i think the play is american as well I think what I'm thinking of is that in this production there was a a bit of a, a couple of little adaptations to the text to make it more British. I think yes, that's what I was yes, thinking of. Yes, it was. Yeah, quite a lot of adaptations to this yeah. text. <clears throat> that's right. Yeah, like it was probably my biggest role to date. It was definitely the most uh, difficult role that I've played so far. I can't really remember, apart from the big chunk at the beginning. Um, I can't remember really a time that I was off the stage for like more than five minutes. I found it quite interesting re- when I read this for the first time because the play is called Death Trap, but the play within the play is called Death Trap, although we find out that actually Death Trap in the play doesn't exist. Uh, it's a little kind of twisting and confusing. There's a really good twist about, well, just before the end of Act 1, isn't it? Yeah. That's really cool. Have you got a favourite part within the play that you enjoyed? Or did you just enjoy the whole thing? Or was there a certain scene you enjoyed more? Yeah. Um, well, there's, there's two scenes that I enjoyed doing, really. It was um, towards the end of Act 1, uh, my character supposedly uh, gets killed off. And that was quite enjoyable because I'd never had done anything like that. I'd never, like, faked to be dead on stage. Like, it was just... It was sort of nice because... After I supposedly got killed off, I was just on the floor playing dead, and I was just listening to everything going on around me, and it was just nice. It was like, ah, oh, no pressure on me now. You know, I can just listen to it. I'm on stage. I can just listen to it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
the the other part was um towards the end um when i have uh that big speech and i grab the gun and i tell sydney to go sit down and it's that is that big speech that i enjoyed doing like i i would have done that bit a lot better as well but like in the rehearsals um like i could speak fine but just on the first night of the performance i just i couldn't speak at all no you sort of lost your voice a bit didn't you yeah i did yeah so as well as trying to remember what to say and where to be i, I was sort of worried that i w- i wouldn't be able to do it at all because yeah. by the third night by the last performance it was really hard <laughs> We got through it, and the end result was was okay. It could have been better, but I'm I'm happy that at least we we put we put something on and we got through it. I think it was particularly difficult as well, given that it's only five people in the cast and it is a full length, like two hour play or something, isn't it? So it is a lot to carry if one person's not feeling well. Yeah, and the the play is worth mentioning was supposed to originally have been done by the rep with Brian, wasn't it? Yes. And so this production was kind of uh, sort of in tribute to him, wasn't it? And it was, yeah. he was supposed to be playing the role of Sydney. Yes, I believe. That's it, yeah. I mean, he, I think, I think if I remember right, he originally brought this play to the group. Yes, I think he did. Yeah, I think you're right. So that's that's why um, after, after he passed, um, that's why we put on this play as a tribute to him because... Yeah. He wanted to do this play. He wanted to play that main role. It must have been strange for Mike. It's a shame we, uh, if we get him on in a future episode, we could talk to him about it. But it must have been strange for Mike to have to play a role that someone else was supposed to be playing like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a weight on the shoulders. Yes. And Stephen, you were also acting on stage. You were playing... I was playing Porter Milgram, who was uh, Sydney's lawyer. I never noticed the height difference between me and Mike until I watched it back on the uh, DVD. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching the back of it. Okay. <laughs> and did you have any particular kind of problems or challenges with it, or was it pretty straightforward for you, Steve? It was. It was pretty straightforward for me, really. I only had two scenes that I was in. It wasn't too bad. It was. It was pretty straightforward. There's a there's a part in the script at the very end where um, I would describe as a cliffhanger between you and is it Helga Tendorp, yeah, yeah. sidekick. Have you got any theories to what has happened after the cliffhanger? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Yeah, uh, Helga Tendorp and then my character Porter at the in the final scene they start going over what happened and then my character is trying to write a play before and successfully and. He sees this idea as a, a good idea for a new play. This Helga Tendorp character, she says, well, hang on, I gave her the idea and the title and everything. Arguments back and forth between them. And Helga then advances on my character, Porter, with a, a knife being very threatening. Uh, that's sort of where it ended. Um, I like to think they probably came to some agreement. Either that or she killed him. <laughs> <laughs> One or the other. Uh, so what I was going to ask the three of you is, so this this play relies at some points quite heavily on believing in ESP, or yes. believing in psychics, uh, with this character Helga, who's famous for being a psychic, and at the end she works out what's happened having not seen it just by being in the room. So the, yeah. the play does portray psychics as being real. I was wondering whether 
whether you guys actually believe in uh, whether that's possible. No. Oh. There you go. A direct answer from Damien there. Direct answer from me would be no. No, I, I personally don't think it's it's true either. Um, you, you know, you can you can find out anything about anyone on the internet if somebody does their research on somebody. You know, you can find out a lot of information about them and make it seem as if you know you are a psychic. James, since you asked the question, what do you think? Oh, um, no, I don't believe it either. I think. From from what I've heard, there's a, a technique that psychics use called uh, cold reading, yeah, which is where. So the, I think there's, I think it's called hot reading when you deliberately have found out information, specific information about a person. But they learn this technique called cold reading, which is where you ask or say some kind of very generic things um, to someone, like, "Did you have a, an elderly relative who died?" For instance. Yeah. And they say, oh, yes, my, my grandfather. Um, I was really close to my grandfather. And then they, they zero in on that and they, and they go, oh, yes, yes, I can, I can definitely tell that, um, that it's a, a man. It's an, an elderly man, you know, th- things like that, things that could apply to yeah. literally anyone. So, I, yeah, I think it's quite cynical, um, personally. I witnessed the first hand as well of um, this guy, before the show even starts, he goes asking, getting information about them, and then picking that person out when he's on stage. <clears throat> oh, okay. I witnessed that first hand. To be fair to the play, though, Macbeth relies on believing in witches, and Hamlet relies on being uh, believing in ghosts, so I don't, I don't think you can really criticise it too much um, for that. I think it still works as a piece of fiction. Fair point. Yeah, definitely the character there was useful. Like we said earlier, it's a bit of comic relief. So it definitely adds to the play. I think uh, she is needed to be there uh, to do that kind of thing, the psychicness, because it, it keeps uh, the characters of Sydney and Clifford on edge and it makes them have to change tact and do things differently and makes them think that their plans are going to be found out. So it keeps them on their feet as well. Yeah, it's a plot function as well. Yeah, there's something I'm writing at the moment, actually, that has a psychic character in it, although oh, it, yes. it, it is definitely going to be um, a comedy character. I, I don't plan on having her actually be psychic, but um, I think it, it, it's interesting to do to do a bit of research into psychics and stuff like that, and, and the ways that they put on their shows, it's quite interesting. Damien and myself, we've... Because, as we said before, this was kind of like a, a tribute show. We uh, we both kind of volunteered to help out with technical stuff. So this was our first kind of rep show for both of us. It was quite a, a useful experience for us because we were both figuring out how to do these technical things for ourselves. We'd done our first Hereafter production, which was just shorts, uh, a few months earlier. Yeah. But we had the panto coming up at Christmas that was going to be far more technically involved. So it kind of served as a bit of a test run for us in figuring out how to use software like QLab, uh, programming lighting, special effects and things like that. It was it was really useful, but it was it was fun as well. I, I enjoyed the process. Some of the lighting tricks we did were quite fun. We we connected the lighting desk via MIDI to the to QLab, didn't we, as well? So each sound effect happened with a light effect right on cue. Yeah. So we actually, although there were two of us, we only needed one person to actually operate both sound and lighting keys with just pressing one button. And so I think we had lightning effects as well, which we used again in the panto. Yeah. So you have a, a sound of thunder 
Aquaman and the lights flash at the same time. And we did it with like when Helga comes in, uh, there's a little mysterious sting of music and the lights flicker. And so we kind of queued all that up. It was quite fun figuring out all those things because it, it looked really cool when you, you press the button and all these things happen in perfect unison. Um, I, I think it all worked well. The one thing I have to say is, like, me, me being the one that's on stage, I think towards the end, we had that storm effect. I think the first show, I think it was... I think you did adjust the volume on it by, by the second and last show, but definitely the first show, it was a bit loud. Like, it, it started to get a bit distracting to what, like, I was trying to say. Yeah, that's 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 the only that's the only negative thing that I can say about it. Um, majority of it worked well and it was something new like we hadn't had those kind of sound effects in any previous show before so it was nice to experiment with something new and Mm. hopefully going forward hopefully we can do more stuff like that because i think it would help us to progress and to put on better shows i remember a few times uh people were like oh could you do this could you could you do this and we'd be We'd be like, yeah, yeah, we can do that really easily. Oh, really? And we'd go, yeah, and we could do this, this, and this. And they'd be like, wow, really? You could do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could do that really easily. And, you know, so it's like bringing some of that new technology in. And uh, But but with the with the storm as well, that was that was quite tricky because the stage directions are quite detailed in this. And they, they do at various points in that scene say that the, the storm gathers strength. The, the storm reaches a crescendo and all this kind of stuff and it was it's quite difficult to do that whilst you've got actors on stage delivering lines and it, yeah it did yeah. take a bit of figuring out to we did have to adjust the volume and and uh quite a lot each show i re- recall we tended to lower the volume each time until the last few shows as rob said it, we got it just right uh it, it is an ongoing process usually in a production like that where i mean there was there was one sound cue that i ended up changing i think maybe like the second to last show or something i just added in a new sound cue because some it was part of it just wasn't working you know it's a every show is new and it's an ongoing process to get those technical things as good as they can be as you go along you know i want to backtrack a little bit um to do with sound and since this show was a tribute to brian i found on one of the Helder's macbooks a sound cue of um, Brian doing an announcement to oh, turn yes. off the phones. Yes. And I asked James if he can fix the quality of the audio, and we had it in the beginning of each show. It was like a part. Yeah. It was like Brian is still part of the show. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, that was nice to do. I, again, uh, you know, it's like I I said to Tom, I think it was that you know, oh, I can just play around with it and make it sound better. And when he heard it, he said, "Oh, yeah, that sounds that sounds much better." Um, it was just simple kind of uh, getting rid of some of the static in the background and adding a little bit of reverb to it and it sounds sounds really nice and it, it was nice that it was there like the first thing you hear in the show yeah mm. it was yeah I, i'm I'm glad we kept that announcement in i mean I, I i wouldn't have liked it if we taken it away and had someone else to record it i think uh, i think it's it's nice to still have it there because it just means that he's still like you know i know he's going to be still a part of the group so yeah yeah, yeah, I agree. Nice. Um, so it was it was kind of a new experience for me a little bit with the sound and and stuff. I'd never done a play like this before, never done a thriller, so it was kind of something new for me in terms of doing the sound and the music. 
uh, and I really enjoyed it. So I took inspiration from like some of the music that I'd studied at university. This kind of electronic music. Uh, it's called electroacoustic music, and it's where you kind of take sounds, just normal recorded sounds, and edit them and change them and create these kind of soundscapes with them. And so I I did a bit of that with this play, um, and it was quite fun, just kind of creating these creepy, unsettling, kind of stretched out sounds. Like at one point there was, uh, I had a sound of someone laughing, and I slowed it down and, and lowered the pitch, and it sounded like crying, which I thought was really weird, that if you take the sound of laughter and slow it down, it sounds like crying. I didn't, I didn't know that. So it was quite fun where these these bits where there's like Rob's character comes back from the dead. um, And, you know, obviously it's like a a really dramatic moment. So it was fun to do to do that with this, like these big soundscapes and stuff like that. Uh, And I hope I get to do something similar again in future because it was it was really fun. Speaking of sound, actually, the the very beginning sound, a kind of like bassy sound that gets louder and louder and louder. Was that was your intention behind making that sound to make the audience feel the sound in a way? Yeah, I remember uh, watching this video on YouTube a couple of years ago about how horror films use subsonic sounds that can't be heard, but they blast them at, at high volume in cinemas and stuff like that with sub subwoofers because it can create feelings of like tension for the for the people that are exposed to that that sound, even though they can't consciously hear it you um you you kind of it makes you feel unsettled uh and sometimes if people are exposed to that for long enough or at a high enough volume they can it can actually create visual illusions so people think sometimes think they see ghosts or whatever it turns out it's they were in a building that has like a uh, an air conditioning that's vibrating at the right frequency to create these like visual distortions in people's eyes which is really cool um, so I kind of had this idea that oh it'd be it'd be cool to try and use these subsonic frequencies and stuff like that to try and make people feel unsettled. I don't know whether it works, probably not, but um... yeah, I could definitely feel that it was doing the right uh, trick. Like uh, members of the audience did get unsettled by the audio, but it worked. Yeah. I think the the overture was the only bit of normal music in the whole play. Really, I did this overture that was. Because the play's set in the seventies and it's like a a crime thing, so I thought I'm going to write something that sounds like the Sweeney. Yeah. <laughs> so it starts like like the Sweeney with kind of wow 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 uh, guitar sound, and um, but then after that it's, it kind of gets a bit weird. And then at the end, the the exit music I think was the overture music, but it was slowed down and like reversed and stuff like that to sound weird. Uh, Rob. Yeah. You uh, helped sort out the filming of the play. How did that go? Um, So the idea was because we have now uh, two cameras to record with. So my idea was to put one camera on one side and the other one on the other side. So when I come to edit the thing together, depending who is saying what and where they're standing, uh, I'd flick to one camera to the 
other camera depending where they are on the stage so it was the first time for me to do to do that so it was a bit of a experiment really to see like what works and what doesn't work and yeah the the the, the filming for that the first time the first time that i did that it didn't work quite how i wanted it okay um but like i've learned since then so by by the time like we do another live show i'm 90 percent confident that i can get something that i can edit because one thing i i place the cameras too close to the stage so like when oh, right. people were like standing up sometimes their heads were cut off and <laughs> i didn't realize that the cameras that i have only records for 30 minutes and then it stops so i had to figure out a way around that i'm just waiting for that next live show to sort of try it yeah and before long it'll be like national theater live <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah the theater live yeah <laughs> One thing we haven't talked about is the uh, is the set. Oh yes, the set design. Tom, the director, designed the set. He's pretty good at that. He's done a few good sets. In all fair, in all fairness to him, I, I I always like the way that he can make a different set work with the same sofa, the same tables, and everything. Yeah. But it, he makes it look as if it's a completely new thing. Yeah. I also liked uh, going back to lighting briefly that. So at the back of the set, there's a doorway leading outside, and we we managed to get a light on a stand behind the doorway. So the, when the light was on, it looked like it was like a hallway light coming in. I was yeah. quite happy with how that looked. So uh, we're going to just uh, read a little extract from from the play. This is from Act Two, Scene One. Uh, this is where Stephen's character Porter first comes in, and I'm going to be reading the role of Sydney for this bit, and I might just uh, add a little bit of sound design to it as well, just for just for laughs. Sydney. Doing fairly well, thanks. Come through. Uh, there are a couple of things I want to talk to you about. Am I disturbing you? Uh, oh, you've got company. Oh, not at all. Uh, glad of the chance to take a break. How come you're not in the city? I have to be in town this afternoon. Uh, the secretary? Yes. Why? What a fast typist. He is, isn't he? Come meet him. Clifford? This is Clifford Anderson. And uh, this is my friend, Porter Milgram. How do you do? How do you do, sir? I would say my attorney, but then he would bill me. I'm going to anyway. This is a business call. Partly, at least. Clifford was at the seminar I conducted last July. He asked me then about a secretarial position, and when Myra passed on, I realised I would need someone to lend a hand, so I called him. The next day, here he was. Have typewriter. We'll travel. That was very good of you. Oh, it's a privilege to be of help to someone like Mr. Brule. <laughs> How's Elizabeth? Uh, fine. And the girls? Ooh, couldn't be better. Cathy loves Oxford. 
I'm sure. Sit down. Um, shall I go get the shopping now? Uh, then you and uh, Mr. Milgrim can talk in private. Oh, would you mind? Oh, no, uh, I have to do it sometime. Uh, anyway, uh, so might as well. All right. Be with you in a second, Porter. Oh, take your time. I haven't started the clock yet. <laughs> he's looking well. Uh, yes, yeah, uh, he's picked up quite a bit in the past few days. Uh, it was pretty bad the first week. Um, he, he cried every night. And, uh, I could hear him plainly, and he was drinking heavily. Ah. But uh, he'll pull through. Uh, his work is a great solace to him. Oh, I'm sure it, it must be. I've always envied my right to clients on that account. I tried to play once. Oh? About the Supreme Court justice I most admire. But even the title was a problem. Frankfurter. Yes. Twenty enough. Oh, no, that's that's too much. Uh, We only need salad things uh, and milk. Uh, I'm going to co-op. Oh, pick up some yoghurt too. Anything but prune. Okay. See you later, or nice meeting you, uh, whichever it turns out to be. I'm sure we'll be seeing each other again. (laughs) Pleasant young fellow. Good looking, too. Yes. Uh, Do you think he's gay? Um, Homosexual? I know what gay means, Sidney. (laughs) Elizabeth told me long ago. (laughs) Yeah, no, he didn't strike me that way. I have a sneaking suspicion he might be, but as long as he does his job well, I suppose it's none of my business, is it? Well, in essence, he's a domestic employee. And I think that in such circumstances, his sexual preference could be a legitimate matter of concern. Oh, I wasn't asking for legal opinion. I was just saying that it's really not my business. Oh, well, in that case, uh, no, it isn't. Okay, so I hope you guys have enjoyed that little reenactment of the play that we performed in November uh, last year. And if you have, then please remember to like, subscribe to the channel, and comment down below telling us what you think of this episode. And if you are watching on any other platform, for example Bandcamp, uh, please hit that follow button. We'll be posting on the uh, How to Rap YouTube page and Hereafter Productions Bandcamp. Also, check out the links in the description for our other channels and websites. I'm saying that, it's goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me. It's a goodbye from me. And we're going to play you out with a piece of music from Death Trap. This is the Overture, so this was played at the very start of the production. Uh, Thank you very much for listening, and goodbye. Thank you.